everyone. It's good to be with you this morning, and, um, and I hope that you're thrilled to be in worship today um, and be together and worship God together. If, um, if for no other reason, that means you don't have the flu, because I think there's a lot of people that have the flu, but really we come to worship God. Uh, three of my four kids are at home today. Um, our family's been having a really fun time recently with, with the flu and strep and all that good stuff. So, so I'm glad to be with you this morning. I, I'm thrilled to be in the presence of God, and it's just on Sunday morning, there's nothing better than getting up and coming into God's presence and seeing my church family and, and just worshiping together. And, and so it's good to be here. We're in the middle of a series on matters of affection, and, and this is a topic that um, that, that we don't talk about a whole lot in the church, and, and one of my convictions, and it's something I'm convicted about myself, is that we need to talk about these things a little bit more. And so I thought um, Todd Bowman, uh, Dr. Todd Bowman came last week, and I thought he did an excellent job um, looking into God's Word um, and sharing with us. Um, but as we talk about these topics, I just want to reiterate, I just want to come back to the fact that this is not an all-inclusive sermon series. This isn't something that, that I'm going to be able to give you everything you need to know for your relationships and your affections to be used in the right way. I'm going to do my very best. But, but we as a staff and we as a church want this to be the beginning of a further conversation and further growth. And so we've put together these resource guides. You can find them at all of the entrances and exits. And we really, I just want to encourage you to take a look at these. There's some things coming up that, that respond to this series. And so as we're opening up God's Word and looking at what God wants for our relationships, for our affections, for, for who we are, we want to follow up by, by digging a little bit deeper. A couple things that are, that are coming up, you can grab one of these. There's a lot of stuff in here, but art of marriage, if, if you're married and you're hearing God's word and, and you're challenged by it, the art of marriage has a retreat. It's actually just finished. It was this weekend. I just looked at that. That was good. Um, but we have a course coming up starting March 3rd. Yeah, it's, today's going really well, isn't it? Um, March 3rd, we have a six-week course coming up on art of marriage that we want as many of you as possibly could to take that course together and to strengthen your marriage. Uh, we have Celebrate Recovery. We have Divorce Care. We have Grief Share that you heard about earlier. We have Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. And then there's a, there's a, um, a small group that's going to be starting on, in, on March 13th on Wednesday nights at 7 with Steve Rizkala. And, and that is all about, that's a men's group talking about purity. And so I just want to encourage you, before you leave today, to grab one of these resource guides by the door as you walk out. And I want to encourage you to start praying about the stuff we're talking about and how God may want to continue this conversation and continue this in your life. So, so we're going to jump in. If I could start by just uh, by, uh, reflecting or, or looking back at what we did the last few weeks so that we can catch you up. Um, the first week of this series, um, the idea that we talked about is that our affections are a gift from God to be used for the glory of God. You might remember two weeks ago, if you were here, I had a baseball that was signed by all of the Texas Rangers from, I think, 1989, and it was it's this really valuable thing in my life. It's a gift that was given to me, and I talked about how that precious gift that I have, if I would take it out and I would go in the yard and I would throw it around and use it for the wrong purposes, it would completely lose its value and worth and become just an ordinary baseball. And so our affections are a gift from God, a special gift from God that are given to us, 
but they are to be used for the glory of the Lord. And, and so I want us to understand that as we talk about the matters of affection in our lives, these are gifts to be used for God's glory. And, and so these aren't used, supposed to be selfishly used. They're not supposed to be used for our own selfish purposes, but to, to be used to glorify God. And then last week, Todd Bowman came, and I thought Todd did a wonderful job um, looking into the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and talking to us about the different mindsets that keep us from living purely and honoring God with our lives. And, and one thing that he said at the beginning, and it's, it's scriptural, it's something you'll hear a lot in the church, is the call to be holy as I am holy, to be holy as God is holy. We are called to holy living, to live differently, to be set apart and I want to reiterate, like, this is important. Holiness, because I'm going to be honest with you, I think we've, we've messed this up in the past. It's easy to get our minds off track. Holiness is not about a list of do nots. It's not just a list of things that you don't do that make you holy. Holiness is about reflecting the love of our Creator God. Holiness is about our lives showing the love of Christ to others. Declaring God's glory with our lives. See, the truth is we were created in the image of God. If you go back to Genesis, you'll see we were created, man was created in the image of God. And so from the very beginning, we were created to bring glory to God. We are supposed to be walking around, living, and pointing with our lives to God. That's what we were created for. This isn't all meaningless. This isn't all our relationships, the things that we encounter every day. It's, it's not for nothing. We were created with a purpose to bring glory to God. And, and so Todd said last week, our bodies are meant to declare the gospel Today, we're going to be talking a lot about relationships. We're going to be talking about how our relationships honor God. And so I would just add this, that our relationships are meant to declare the gospel. So hear this one more time. Get with me here. Our relationships, the way we treat each other, our marriages, our friendships, our dating relationships, our relationships are meant to declare the gospel. When people look at the way we relate with each other, they should see the gospel, the love, the grace, the power of Christ at work within us. So today we're talking about relationships. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul follows up chapter 6 with chapter 7 and there's there's a lot of different teaching in, in chapter 7. It's, it's more practical teaching about the different relationships in our lives and the different, the different places, statuses we could find ourselves. How many of you are on Facebook? And you have a relationship status. How many of you have filled that in? How many of you are like me and you just don't really mess with any of it? You're just on there and I don't even know what mine says. I'm sorry if it says something wrong. So we, have, we each have a place where we're at a status Maybe today you find yourself, you're married, maybe you're single. 
Um, maybe you've been married, but you're not married now. Maybe, maybe you're a widow. We all have these places, and, and Paul in chapter 7 addresses these places, but I want us to understand that this is all about the glory of God. So as we work through these different things that Paul teaches us about these different statuses, these different, these different types of relationships, I want us to understand that this is all in the context of what we were created, what these relationships, what these affections were created to be. They were created to glorify God. So we're going to start right here. He starts by talking to married people in chapter 7. He says, Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, let me say something really quick. As we work through chapter 7, there's going to be a lot of things in the text. I'm going to do my best to explain it, but there's going to be a lot of things in the text that may bring questions in your mind. I would love to talk to you guys about this later. There's some things that are just kind of written funny. I'm going to try to help us understand it. But what Paul starts with, really he's replying to, a, to what the Corinthian church had asked him. So they're dealing with all of this sexual immorality and so they have questions for him, and you can see right away that, that he quotes their question, it is good, or their statement, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Basically, where the Corinthian church was, is they said, okay, we've really gotten messed up, okay, we, we've blown it, and we have become sexually immoral, so probably the best way to handle that is for us to just stop having sex, for us to just completely abstain for us to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and for us even in marriage to just stop with it. That way we can't mess it up, right? That's what they're saying. Paul says, no, that's not what this is all about. He, he, says, he says, this is misguided. This isn't the response that we are supposed to have to sexual immorality. Listen to me sexuality, our affections, sex within marriage is not wrong. And when we make the mistake of thinking that it's wrong and there's something wrong with it and we go from sexual immorality to we're just not going to do it, we're going to stay away from it, we've blown it. Because sex in marriage was created to glorify God. And so if you're given this gift and you say, I don't want to mess this gift up, so I'm just going to hide it over here, I'm not going to do anything with it, you're missing the gift. God's plan for marriage is that we would live our sexuality out in marriage faithfully. And if, we, if our reaction to immorality is just to turn that off and to say, no thanks, we're missing it. We're not glorifying God. We're hiding his creation. And so, so Paul says that there's nothing wrong with sex in marriage. I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in the church. And, um, and I grew up all my life in the church. And, and we didn't talk about sex very much. All we really talked about was the negative side of things that you weren't supposed to have sex outside of marriage. And I totally believe that, and that's good. But you know the problem is? We weren't taught about the goodness of sex in marriage. We weren't taught about the gift that God has given us. And so I remember one of our first teen retreats, 
when this, I'm sorry, this is awkward, this is awkward to talk about, but I remember one of our first teen retreats, like when we stayed in a room together, Megan and I, after we got married, it felt wrong. It felt weird. Just even to stay in a room together felt weird because all our lives we had been, and listen, God's design is for us to enjoy sex in marriage, not outside of marriage. But if we're, if we're not talking about it, if we're not understanding the gift that sexuality is, we're missing God's point, God's creation. And I believe that this is something that we, the church, have kind of messed up. We've kind of hidden it. Sex has become a, a dirty word or a dirty topic in our church, and we just don't talk about it. But, but listen, that's not what it is. Sex is a gift from God. And I promise I'm going to move on to other things, but, but this is where he starts. It's a gift from God. One, one of the things I read, this is from the Beacon Commentary. It says that Satan's greatest strategy when it comes to sex, so this gift that we've been given, is to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage. We all understand that. We, we've talked about last week, Todd shared all the statistics of the crazy things that happen. So, so Satan's plan is to encourage immorality and things outside of marriage. But listen to this next part. And to discourage sex within marriage. It is an equal victory for Satan if he accomplishes either plan. If the devil can convince us that sex is wrong and our marriages cease to be what God created them to be, that's just as much of a win for the devil as if, as if we're living immorally outside of marriage and doing things that are wrong. And so, so Paul says the answer to sexual immorality is not to just hide it, put it away, don't talk about it, but it's to live by God's design. It's to live the way that God intended sexuality to be lived. And now we're going to move on. To use it rightly, now we're going to move on because this isn't only talking about sex. This is talking about our relationships. And, and I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but, but Paul's not just talking about the sexual act between a man and his wife. Paul is talking about love, that we are called our affections the gift of marriage and the gift of relationships that God has given us that we are called to love each other the right way. And it's not just about sex. Um, the, 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 this is about our affections. And, and it's truly about loving each other with a Christ-like love. And, and so, have you ever seen a marriage that, that just didn't honor God? Raise your hand and don't don't point to anyone and don't, don't nudge anyone. But raise your hand if you've ever seen a marriage that just was messed up and broken and, and it was something was wrong with it. The, the love isn't right. It's manipulative. It's, it's not loving. That doesn't glorify God. That's not what marriage and love were created to be. But how many of you have ever seen a marriage? You can point on this one if you want. You can nudge on this one. How many of you have ever seen a marriage that just really glorified God with everything that it is. Man, I had one of the greatest gifts to be able to see a, a mother and father that loved each other the way God intended for them to love each other. And looking at their relationship taught me about God's love. That's the point. See, our relationships, our marriages are supposed to reflect God. God. 
And, and so I'm so blessed. In fact, um, as we were here for the, the visitation for mom's funeral last week, um, somebody came through the line and they said, I just want to tell you one of the things that stuck out to me. And they talked about my dad wheeling my mom all over the place. And they talked about the way that my dad cared for my mom through her difficulties. And I want you to understand that this isn't just about sex. This is about the way that we selflessly and sacrificially love each other because when we love each other the way God designed it, you see Jesus. You see God's love. That's what this is about. If we can get this right, married couples, I'm talking to you, young people, single people, if you get married someday, that's cool, but I'm talking to the married people. Your marriage should glorify God, should point to God. That's the goal. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says this about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And love never fails. And so if you're married and you're in here today, we're just going to take a quick mental, keep this inside, mental inventory. I want you to ask yourself, does my marriage relationship glorify God? Does it point to God? And if not, I I just want to ask you to begin praying about the follow-up steps to learn to love each other the way that God loves us. So that's marriage. Paul moves on, and and he changes the conversation from marriage to to unmarried and widows. In verse 8, he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say this, It is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is one of those interesting parts in the text. But, But right away we see a concept that's very real in this chapter, and it's that Paul thinks it's good to be unmarried. He doesn't think anything's wrong with marriage. He just talked about the good in marriage. But now he says, if you're not married, guess what? That's okay. It's okay and it's good. And so we understand that Paul, at the time of writing this, with context clues and all of the things that Paul wrote in Scripture, we understand that Paul was not married at this time. But I never knew this more than likely Paul was at one point married. Because we understand from Scripture that, that before this point, he served um, in, in, in high up religious positions and he served in the Sanhedrin. And the truth is, you weren't even allowed to serve in those areas if you weren't married. So odds are, I'm not saying this is gospel truth, but I'm telling you from the things I've read, Paul probably at one point had been married, but at this point isn't. And so what he's saying is, if you are not married... If, if you're a widow, if something has happened, it's okay, it's good. And God has a plan and a design for the way that you should live in that lifestyle. And I realize that, that marriage is something we talk about a lot in the church. And one, another thing that we, we tend to mess up is we talk a lot about marriage, but we, we tend to forget that there's a lot of people who don't live in that status, 
And what Paul says is marriage is good, but guess what? Singleness is good too. And sometimes in the church, I, I've heard this several times over the last month, that, that Valentine's is Single Awareness Day. It's, it's when you're made aware that you're single. And, and, that, and, and singleness can be something that, that maybe at times in the church you feel like people are, are judging you or looking at you a certain way, and there, there can be a negative connotation. Not for Paul. That's not how Paul feels. Paul feels like his singleness is a gift from God. And, and this, it's no different. In this day, it was looked at as something, marriage was looked at as something that was really important. And marriage is important. But not everyone is called to be married. Some people live single. In fact, I just want to say this. If you are single and you're here today, you're in some good company. Because Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of the church, was single at the time of writing this. You know who else was single? Jesus. <laughs> so if you here are here today and you've gotten the impression that God thinks there's something wrong or the church thinks there's something wrong with being single and not married, I want you to know that is not true. It's misguided. You can honor God living in singleness. Verse 9 is an interesting verse. It says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This, that's not to say single people can't control themselves, but it's to say that it's more important for you to glorify God with your lifestyle than to stay in a place that you can't control. And so if you can't honor God with your singleness, if, if it's too much of a temptation, Paul is saying, get married. That's okay. But Paul is... At no point in this text, in chapter 7, at no point is Paul trying to hold up marriage as better than singleness or singleness as... It's all designed for God's glory. Then he goes on and he starts talking about another topic we don't talk about a lot in the church, and that's divorce. In verse 10 it says, to the married I give this command. Then in parentheses you'll say, I think it's up there, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. What Paul is saying here is that if we are living for God's glory, if we are living the kind of relationship, the kind of marriage that, that we talked about earlier, if we are living for God's glory, not for our own, there's no reason that two believers should ever have to be divorced. If we give our marriage to God, if my marriage is about honoring God... If my marriage is about loving like 1 Corinthians 13 love, there's no reason we should get to the place that there has to be divorce. Listen, I, I understand that this is something that's very different in our culture today, but I believe that God calls us in marriage to be faithful. And when two people believe in God and are seeking God's will for their life and they come to an altar and say, we, give our, we become one in Christ... We are called to love each other sacrificially. And if we'll do that, if we'll love each other the way God loves us, we shouldn't end up in divorce. And God says, that's not God's plan. Now, I just want to say something really quick. I know I'm running out of really quick to say before I get a little bit long in my sermon. But I want to say something. I know that there are a lot of you in here, maybe some of you, a lot of you in here, that have dealt with divorce in your life. 
And I just want to say, if you'll read through chapter 7, you'll see that Paul is not saying that you've, you've blown it, you're done, sorry, God doesn't love you anymore. That, that's, you know what, I, I grew up with this idea, not about divorce, but about, about sex before marriage, that if I had sex before marriage, I had blown it and it was all over. That's part of the not talking about it thing. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God's design is that we not get divorced. But if you have been living in a marriage and you are divorced, I know my voice is cracking, I'm sick, they're laughing at me over here. But, but if, you are, if you are living in a situation where you have been divorced, I just want you to know that the grace of God covers that. And I want you to know that God's will is not for you to beat yourself up over the past That's never God's will. God's will is not for you to sit there and think about how terrible you are. God's will is for you to give everything to him, to seek forgiveness, and then to seek to glorify God with your life now. In fact, if you look at one point, it says, in whatever situation you're in, live for God. And so I just want to say, God is a God of grace And even though we're getting these practical instructions and God's design for marriage is not to end in divorce, I want you to know that God is a God of grace and God is a God of love and God is a God that can work miracles out of difficulty. And so we're in a good place today. Verse 12, and now he starts talking about marriage again, but he's not talking about marriage between believers. Now he's talking about marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. He says, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So you see the parentheses here, I, not the Lord. Basically what he's saying here, the first time he said, not I, but the Lord, because he was quoting what Jesus said. Now this isn't a quote. This doesn't mean it's not true. This doesn't mean it's not inspired by God. What he's saying is, I'm not quoting Jesus on this. He says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So this is another difficult teaching here. This is saying that if you are a believer and your spouse is not a believer, that doesn't mean you have to chop the marriage and get a divorce and say it's over. I need to find someone who's a believer. That's not what this is. What Paul says is if you're in that situation, then guess what? You can glorify God by loving your spouse even in their unbelief, with a redemptive love. You are called to love them as long as they are willing to love you and stay with you. And then it says, if the unbelieving husband or wife decides that they don't want to do it and they leave, listen, there's there's nothing you can do. But what you are called to do as a believer is to love in marriage the way that God designs it as much as you possibly can, as redemptively as you possibly can, to glorify God. Then there's this part, once again, I got in trouble a couple weeks ago for saying this, but it it talks about the husband being sanctified through the wife, the wife through the husband. That's not talking about salvation. That's not talking about sanctification as in we are made completely holy. What that's talking about is being set apart. And what Paul is saying here is if you are in a marriage as a believer with an unbeliever, you have the opportunity and the obligation to love them as Christ loves us 
and to be redemptive in your love. And so you can still glorify God and your love can become a witness for God. You know what's really cool about this? This, like all of Scripture, just echoes the rest of Scripture. Think about what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you are a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, you are still called to love them and to treat them with the Christ-like love. Think about what that means. Think about Scripture. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I'm going to wait till they get themselves clean to love them? Aren't you glad that, that you didn't get tossed aside because you weren't good enough, you weren't holy enough? That's not how this works. What Paul is saying is the love that Christ has for us, that he died on the cross when we didn't deserve it, is the love we should have for our spouses that are unbelieving, a redemptive love. Towards the end of chapter 7, He goes on, verse 25, he says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because in the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face troubles in this life I want to spare you this. That last line is kind of once again misleading. In that day, there was difficulty for that change of status. It's not saying marriage is wrong. It's not saying if you get this. Some of the guys are like, amen. If, <laughs> if you get married, you're in trouble. No. Oh, did I just get myself in trouble? <laughs> yeah, okay. I knew I would at some point in this series. But uh, he's not saying marriage is bad. What, what, what Paul is once again reiterating is that if you're single, that's okay. You can stay single and you can glorify God just the way you are. And if you're married, that's okay. You can glorify God with your marriage. And so in verse 29, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. This is another one that can be taken really out of context. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Let's keep moving because that can be misleading. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is, is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the, about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Now listen to verse 35. This is the key to this whole thing. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, so that's confusing stuff, saying if you're married, you should live as if you're not married. That, that doesn't give you a license to live in an immoral way and, and act outside of God's plan for marriage. What he's saying is not that we, it's not that the temporary is bad. What he's saying is that we should be focused on the eternal. What he's saying is that all of our relationships, all of our affections are designed to glorify God, not ourselves. 
And so if we're married, if we're unmarried, regardless of your status, you should steward your affections and your relationships for God's glory. I thought that was one of the best things I heard last week um, from Todd Bowman was that we are called to steward our children and our affections for God. We steward our money. We take care of our money. We, we steward our time. But God calls us to steward our affections. What steward means is to take care of and use wisely, to, to leverage what God has given us to bring glory to God. And, and so, so we, often view our, we often view our affections and our relationships from a, a selfish perspective. We think that, that this is something we need to take care of here. We need to get what we can. We need to find what's right for us. What Paul is saying is no. Your affections, your relationships are meant to bring glory to God. And and so we are called not to throw away the temporary. If you take the whole chapter, Paul's not saying stop being married, stop being single, any of that stuff. What he's saying is in whatever context you have, whatever gift that God has given you, your singleness, your marriage, you are called to glorify God, to live for the eternal. Man, if we could get this right, if we could get this right, we wouldn't have to have gimmicks to get people to church. We wouldn't have to go door to door because if we could get love and affections right, other people would see us and they would know God's love through us. We are called to point to God with our relationships. We are called to steward our relationship statuses. For Paul, the gift of affections and relationships are solely about glorifying God. And so where we find ourselves today is that whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, whatever the situation you find yourself in today, you are called to live for the glory of God. The affections you've been given The relationships you've been given, the marriages, the friendships, those are given to you not so that you could be selfish and hoard them, not so that you could hide them, but so you could point to the glory of God with the way that you love each other. And here's the best news of all. We have a pretty good example. Christ is the ultimate example of how you can glorify God with your affections, At mom's funeral, there was a scripture that was read. It was Philippians chapter 2. It's called the Christ hymn. I want you to listen to the words of the Christ hymn really quick. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Jesus, the almighty God, Jesus, the creator God, we've talked about this in the last few months, Jesus, the ultimate savior of all mankind, did not take the gifts that that he had. He didn't take his affections. He didn't take his time. He didn't take the, the possessions and use them for his own glory. He didn't think equality or entitlement was something that he needed to be worried about. 
but he wanted to live for the glory of God. And so he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He took everything he had and pointed it to the Father and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here's the really good news. It starts in verse 9. Therefore, well, that's good news. I'm sorry. This is even better. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, next week we're talking about this. Because we've talked about Paul's, Paul's guidelines or instructions for our relationships and our affections, and sometimes it can seem like God's trying to hold us back from the good stuff, but I promise you that's not the case. What I want you to understand is if we will live, we will steward, we will leverage everything that God has given us, our affections, our relationships, to glorify God, we will be raised. We will be given life to the fullest, and we will have an eternity, an eternity to live in the glory of God. And so, so Jesus is our great example. He didn't take what he had and use it for himself, but he gave everything to God. As we close today, we're going to respond uh, with a time of communion. And so the band's going to come up and, and ushers, you can go ahead and come up. And as we just read about the selflessness and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, we're going to experience communion today. Communion is, is God's grace flowing through us participating and remembering the act of love and grace that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so today, as we think about our affections, as we think about our relationships, as you're given these elements, the ushers, come on up, ushers. As you receive these elements, I want you to hold on to them. And I want you to pray about your relationships. I want you to pray about your marriage. I want you to pray about the love and the design that God has for marriage. And I want you to think about if you're glorifying God with your marriage. There are some of you in here that are single. If that's you, I want you to think about your affections and your desires. And I want you to think about how God can be glorified through your singleness. And so as you receive these elements, hold on to them. And I want you to spend some time in prayer. And I want you to pray, Lord, Take my affections, take my relationships, take my desires, and help them to be tuned to glorify you. Father, as we receive these elements, I pray that you will speak to us, and I pray that our relationships will honor you, that everything we have will honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name.